Hey, it's Don Coscarelli. I'm the uh, writer-director of Phantasm, The Beastmaster, Bubba Hotep, and John Dies at the End. And you're listening to Geeks of the Industry. For all you horror and sci-fi geeks out there, like me. fellow insomniacs and welcome to a special episode of the creature features podcast on geeks of the industry.com i'm your host my name is chunky larry and this was intended to be a two-part episode looking at director rob zombie as the second director spotlight it the first episode turned into roughly four and a half hours um, with just three reviews. The uh, House of a Thousand Corpses review, The Devil's Rejects, Halloween, and uh, some other stuff. So, uh, I tried to just say fuck it and just put up the full four and a half hours and uh, website was just like, yeah, no, no, that's not the way podcasts work, guy. Uh, I'm sure that you could probably do that, but it would sound like winky dinky dog shit. So, um, I made a uh, on the fly decision, and instead of this being a two part series looking at Rob Zombie, it is now a four part series looking at Rob Zombie's work going through the entire filmography uh, there will be reviews for all seven of the films the way that it, it will be broken down is as follows this episode chapter one will be the first two films house of a thousand corpses and the devil's rejects the next episode 
will be just one film. Just one. And that one film will be the 2007 film Halloween. It's special. It gets its own episode. And then after that, you get a another two film review with the second Halloween film and Wards of Salem. And then finally wrapping it all up will be uh, Three from Hell and 31. It's actually 31 and then Three from Hell. That's the order that it's going to go. It'll go in chronological order. Uh, there is a biography that will be broken up. I think that we'll put uh, the first part in episode one and then we will put the second part in the final episode episode four so we'll just kind of move right along without uh we'll have the, the the first part of the bio at the beginning and then when we get to the end you'll get the rest of the bio um but you're gonna get four episodes instead of two and i can tell you it's a lot of hours um the, the Halloween 2 episode uh, just just review as it stands is like an hour 40 so yeah it's its own show um, I hope you guys enjoy these I hope that I don't upset anyone the trigger warnings if you do not like hillbillies this is not your show it's not for you if you are not a fan of Clowns, you have cholerophobia. Maybe this isn't the episode you want to listen to. If you do not like Sherry Moon Zombie, I would say just wait till we get done with uh, Rob Zombie. Just, just wait. You, you, you hang out. We'll, we'll be back. We'll. She's in all of them. Sit back, relax, throw on some grease paint, or you know, some tattered like intentionally tattered jeans and get ready to get super duper fucking metal because we are talking about the heavy metal hellbilly deluxe himself Mr. Metal Rob Zombie and this director spotlight from Creature Features Podcast on Geeks of the Industry Robert Bartley Cummings was born in Haverhill, Massachusetts on January 12, 1965. He is the oldest son of Robert and Louise Cummings. His younger brother, Michael David Cummings, known professionally as Spider One, is the lead singer of the band Power Man 5000. Growing up, Cummings had a fascination with horror films and has stated that he always, quote, wanted to be Alice Cooper, Steven Spielberg, Bella Lugosi and Stan Lee. End quote. So you always wanted to make movies. Though. That was always something. That was always the thing I wanted to do, for sure. But that seemed completely undoable. 
because it was just like Hollywood and movies. I mean, it just, it feels so far, far removed. I mean, living on the Lower East Side, playing CBGBs, like, and being broke, that seems doable. Like, right. you know. And that actually would inspire me there is I would see so many bands, like, oh, well, they suck. I mean, we at least better than they are. You know, that was, like, <laughs> I guess, the motivation I had. But, like, movies just seem like no way. His parents worked at a carnival, but they chose to leave after a riot broke out and tents were set on fire. Well, there's one famous thing I remember as a kid. There's two famous things I just thought of. When I was a kid, the family business that my mom came from was like carnivals. Like, you ever see that movie Carney? Yeah. With Gary Busey? Yeah. That's exactly the life as a kid that I remember. When I saw the movie, I was like, this is... This is what this was our life. We were at so that makes sense. This yeah. attraction you have for these drifters. Yeah, it was always what I was surrounded by. So that was the thing I remember as a kid. Except it was around 1977, I think, because I remember Kiss Love Gun had just came out because I was all pumped about it. And, uh, and the family worked there. My mom and dad and we, me and my brother, had to work and sell food and stuff and I hated I used we used to have to dip the candy apples and hand them to people and they healed now but I all my hand, I had I had burns all over my hands because the apple candy would be so hot it would drip on my hand uh. and burn my hands um anyway I digress but one night there was the gambling tents which were all rigged of course and someone had some guy getting fleeced for all of his money and came back and lit the tent on fire and then suddenly Shit hit the fan. Everybody that me and my little brother had been around all the time, it's like, boom, all these guns start coming out. And you Whoa. start hearing guns popping up. And then the tents just went like nothing was fireproof. Everything's on fire. It's complete chaos. And I was probably in fifth grade. My brother was probably in second grade. And everybody's screaming to run around. And, my, and, and this guy was like, I don't remember his name, but he worked there. He was like, hey, you guys should come over here. And before he finished his sentence, Somebody ran up and hit him in the face with a hammer and broke his whole face open. It was just gushing blood, and we're like... <laughs> and then eventually my parents got us in the car and we left, which was... That was my parent. My mom was like, we're done. This is... We're not doing this anymore. That was the last time we ever did. Um, wow, what a great way to go out, though. <laughs> but the best was going to school on September. Like, what did you do this summer? And that was my story. Wow. We didn't go to Cape Camp. We went to Pasaki. We, we were in a carnival riot. <laughs> <laughs> what was the gambling tent? Like, what kind of games were they rigging? Cummings graduated from Haverhill High School in 1983. He moved to New York City and began attending Pratt Institute, where he met eventual bandmate Sean Yeshult. Cummings and Yeshult co-founded the band that would become known as White Zombies. They broke up after seven years of dating, but continued to work in the band together. The band released three EPs to little success, with their debut studio album Soul Crusher following in 1987 through the band's own record label, Silent Explosion. They released their second studio album, Make Them Die Slowly, in 1989 to little commercial reaction. The pair ended their relationship in 1991, and Zombie began dating Sherry Moon shortly afterwards. The band caught the attention of Geffen Records following the release of their fourth EP, their third studio album, La Sexo Devil Music Volume 1, and it was released through the label in 1992.
We're in the middle of Countdown to the Ball, and right now we're hanging out with Rob and Phil. Like you didn't even know, you, could, you didn't know this was Rob. If you've watched the show in the past five shows, you've probably seen this guy in about three of them from White Zombie. And I, ju I, just wanted to sh I just wanted to show you one thing. If these guys don't show up, it doesn't matter. See this? This is the entire White Zombie concert, right? Right here. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, I'm joking. People might believe it. People might believe it. How have the show's been going? First of all, congratulations. I mean, it, thanks. Overnight sensations, huh? Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Finally. <laughs> overnight sensations. These guys is just like out of nowhere. I mean, how long has the record been out? You know, you're standing right in front of this guy right here. Excuse me. See that? We talked to Rob too much. Ah, no, but it doesn't matter. Anyways, the record has been out how long now? Two, three weeks. So it's been out about what a year and a half, two years. See, he gives us he gives these smart ass answers, and I already know the answer, so he can just give a smart ass answer, and it's like I don't even have to ask him. So how long has the record been out? Three M and M's. That's how long it's been out. Oh, it's been out almost about two years. Now we get three M and You know what? We're gonna play the video. We're gonna talk to everybody else in the band. Try to get a straight answer because now, due to the success of White Zombie, because of because of because of Beavis and Butthead is why these guys are doing so good. It has nothing to do with us playing them on the Headbangers Ball, with us trying to get White Zombie on as many times as we want, me lying my butt off, saying how much I love this band. Then they start selling records, and it's all owed to two cartoon characters. Exactly. <laughs> right now, let's go to Countdown to the Ball, number four. Has nothing to do with it being on the Countdown. Next it's because be of number. Beavis Butthead. No, next four, week it'll be number... pay him more money. That's right. Keep these checks going. Keep the M&Ms coming. Here's Thunderkiss from White Zombie. Although the album didn't enter the Billboard Hot 200 chart until about a year after its release, it became the band's breakthrough hit, going on to sell over 2 million copies in the US alone. Two singles, Thunder Kiss 65 and Black Sunshine, were released to promote the album. White Zombie's fourth and final studio album, Astro Creep 2000, Songs of Love, Destruction and Other Synthetic Delusions of the Electric Head, released in 1995, became their first and only to enter the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 200. It went on to sell over 2 million copies in the US. Cummings directed the music video for the album single More Than Human in 1995 and would go on to direct all subsequent videos for the band. In 1996, Cummings legally changed his name to Rob Zombie. White Zombie officially broke up in September of 98 with Zombie stating, quote, Sometimes a band just breaks up because the band has run its course and the best days are behind them. White Zombie went through a lot together and did tons of great stuff but it was time to stop. The good times were over and we were all moving in different directions." End quote. Since the breakup of the band, Zombie has shown no interest in reforming and has been quoted as saying, I have many legit reasons for not wanting to reform White Zombie. Just because you don't know them doesn't mean they don't exist. Everything is not everybody's business. End quote. Four young people set out 
across the back roads of America. What's that? It's a hitchhiker. What, should we stop? We can't leave it right here in the rain. In search of a mysterious figure known only as... Dr. Satan. You know anything about the legend of Dr. Satan? Yeah, I can show you. Dr. Satan! Ah, Dr. Satan! What they uncovered... You ain't seen nothing yet is the most horrifying and shocking tale of carnage ever seen. Well, I bet you'd stick your head in the fire if I told you you could see hell. You seen this girl? Yeah, they want to play Nancy Drew with this local legend that people call Dr. Satan. Stupid kids probably got themselves lost. Let's get out of this nut house. The boogeyman is real. And you found him. From director Rob Zombie comes a journey into hell. This can't be real, this can't be real, this can't be real. House of a Thousand Corpses. Hope you like what you see! This week on the show, well, maybe just this episode on the show again, we've been uh, just filling the blanks, uh, filling the month up with episodes just pushing towards that episode 200 uh, of this thing called uh, Creature Features Podcast. And this is obviously October. It's a special month. This is the month of uh, Halloween, which, you know, for me is my Christmas and one of the things that I did, because, again, I'm going to be, after this, going through uh, some franchises, Nightmare, namely Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and Friday the 13th. So, because I'm going to be doing that, I decided not to do franchise killers for the month of October. Instead, we're doing the most wordy theme in the history of Creature Features, and that is... Halloween films that take place on Halloween that aren't called Halloween. And uh, in order to do that, I went to the world of social media. I reached out. I asked um, in various horror groups and on our own Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash creature pod. Uh, what are some of your favorite Halloween horror films that do not take place during Halloween? Uh, this film that we're going to be discussing was one of the films that wasn't necessarily mentioned and we'll kind of get into why uh, as we have this conversation but it's definitely one that i've been meaning to try to find a theme to kind of just kind of work it in somewhere so uh, because i know it does technically fit in this theme i absolutely wanted to do it and i absolutely couldn't do it without anybody other than the person that i have with me today on the show um Last time I was able to have him on the show, I believe we covered the film Deathgasm, and that was, shit, a couple years ago at this point, at least it feels like forever, far too long since I've had him on the show. He's one of the few fucking people, when I'd started out podcasting, that really gave a shit about what I was doing, and, you know, held me up, supported me. He's, I consider him a podcast guru. Whether he considers himself that or not remains to be seen. Uh, the host of the, I guess, now defunct bloke show, Mr. AJ Maggot. How you doing, my man? 
My brother, how are you, man? Those very nice words. And just to throw it out there, straight off the bat, one of the main reasons I love you is because you're a horror fan 12 months a year, not one. Yeah, uh, and and that's a joke that I've been making a lot. Uh, you know, there was the, the meme uh, September 30th, October 1st, where everybody's kind of hunky-dory, peachy keen September 30th, then October 1st, they're like, metal, and all this bullshit. <laughs> uh, I have one, you know, it's October 31st, November 1st, and, you know, they're right in the middle of, Satan, devil, uh, scary, and then November 1st, they're fucking Bing Crosby, you know what I mean? Like, it's yep. just, that's that's what it is. It's like, see you guys, see you next year. Uh, but while we have their attention, it's it's absolutely time to just kind of grab them by the throat and talk about some really fucking solid movies um, that take place during Halloween that aren't necessarily called Halloween. And I don't even think I've mentioned the name of the film that we're going to be talking about. I mean, I know I did during the big wordy preamble before this big wordy preamble uh, but uh we're going to be talking about 2003's house of a thousand corpses and um i i again um this is one of those movies that i've always wanted to fucking talk about and i just it it's so unique in the sense that it doesn't really fall into kind of cliche categories. So throwing it into a theme other than maybe putting together like a Rob Zombie theme, it's, it's next to impossible to try to do. Absolutely. Uh, but in order to kind of get the ball rolling on the conversation of House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, we, since the last time you were on the show, certain things have kind of changed. You know, we don't go, beat by beat, uh, with line by movies. line, scene by scene. Yes. Yeah. It, it, that became very arduous to me. And it, it's like, if, if somebody wanted to do that, they could just, I don't know, watch the movie. Um, pretty, pretty much, mate. You would have, might, you were so close to doing audio commentary. It wasn't funny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I had to distance myself from that and I tried to make it a little bit more concise and more of a review than just me telling you about the movie scene by scene. Uh, so the way that we start the conversations now is by reading a synopsis for the film. Uh, I go to IMDb and, you know, there's usually a couple options. I pick the one that I, you know, kind of fancy. Maybe it's wordy. And if the person cites their name, I give them credit for them. And, um, the, in this situation, the person did cite their name, so I'm going to give them credit. This was written by Stranger Zero. I don't know if that's their Christian name, but <laughs> I, I'm going to assume that that's, that's what they go by just, you know, at work and shit. You know, hey, Stranger Zero, can you fax this for me? <laughs> but they had to say of this film, Jerry, Bill, Mary, and Denise are two couples out on the road in hopes... Are Jerry and Bill a couple? <laughs> I didn't think they were, are yeah, uh They're two couples out on the road in hopes of writing a book on offbeat roadside attractions when the four meet Captain Spaulding. They learn of the legend of Dr. Satan when the four take off in search of finding the tree that Dr. Satan was hung from they pick up a hitchhiker, Baby, 
When the car breaks down, Baby invites them to their to her house. This is where the cup the two couples meet the Firefly family, a murderous clan of bizarre people. As the family attacks the unsuspecting couples, Jerry and his friends try to survive the House of a Thousand Corpses and its dark secrets. Not bad. Yeah, it was all right. I I I botched the the writing of it a little bit just because uh it was not a lot of punctuation and um little run on uh but you know that's just me you know kind of pushing off my my shortcomings on somebody else. <laughs> no, fair enough. I I had my own IMDb uh review ready to go but I thought I'd give it a miss. I just uh I like to get fucked up and do fucked up shit. As do we all. <laughs> As, so say we all. Uh, this is the directorial debut, uh, for a feature length picture for Rob Zombie. Uh, at this point before this, he had done some music videos, but for the most part, uh, it, it wasn't like, you know, he did like the animation for, uh, Beavis and Butthead to America. He done that El Super Beast though as well. That was post this because the characters oh, really? from oh, okay. uh of course the characters from House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects are also in uh, yes. the haunted world of El Super Beast though. Uh but what he also had uh his version of Michael Myers uh so he's at this point he's done uh maybe I I want to say he at one point he was meant to, uh, he was meant to write the sequel to The Crow. And, yes, you know, uh, he had been in, uh, Airheads, him and the band White Zombie. Uh, but that was what he was really known for was, um, you know, being the lead singer of the band White Zombie. And Mr. Horror Metal. Exactly. And, you know, everybody knew him because he, you know, his whole shtick was, you know, vintage horror. And, um, you know, he's one of those guys that I think not necessarily gets all of the credit in the world that he probably deserves. Um, his first music video was more human than human. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he did quite a few music videos, uh, before doing House of a Thousand Corpses, he, mostly for him. The only other one he did was, uh, for Ozzy Osbourne. And I remember going to the theater and seeing House of a Thousand Corpses because I was, I, I wasn't the world's biggest white zombie fan, but I, I enjoyed them. Oh, cool. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, I, I liked that, you know, he would reference Dawn of the Dead, um, where he would have samples of various horror films in his yeah. music. I believe, uh, he used, uh, some stuff from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 as well in some of his songs, but, um, it, it was, it was almost like it was music that was essentially tailor made for somebody like myself or at least you know kind i of... totally understand mate i'm a, I'm a metalhead and i love horror so it just makes sense yeah and and as far as uh 
not giving him enough praise. I can't give him enough praise. I probably, I'm probably a bit blinded when I come to him. If people say it's a bad movie, I tend to disagree regardless of it is. I'll never openly knock Rob Zombie if that makes sense. Huge fan. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's like I, I want to say that I've loved all of his work. Um, but he leaned right. towards the pretentious side the further yes. into his career that he got. And uh, one of the biggest complaints that most people have of his work is his frequent use of his wife. But uh, to that I well, say, you know, <laughs> why wouldn't you use people that you're comfortable with and familiar with, and who are you more comfortable or familiar with than your wife? And, and you know exactly what you can ask her to do, then she'll say yes. Yeah. And, you know... I was, I was, I feel like I was one of the very few people that was genuinely excited for this film. Um, it was originally going to be released through Universal. Uh, he worked out this deal with Universal. He shot the film on the Universal lot. So while they're shooting House of a Thousand Corpses, you know, the Universal tour would drive by where they were filming and it, just random shit like that. <laughs> Very. I bet you he was real happy about that. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure he he loved it. It, it. He doesn't strike me as a as a very friendly guy. <laughs> no, I, I. Last time I saw him in concert was at a festival, mm-hmm. and as you know, at festivals, not everyone can play at night time. The first thing he said when he walked on stage is, "Can you believe they put me on in the fucking daytime?" <laughs> Before he sang a song. Yeah, and I, I think that that's probably got something to do with the fact that, you know, his, uh, we've both obviously oh, yeah. seen him live before. Uh, there's a lot of visual. Oh, yeah. That, you know, it's not just, you know, I liken him to like an Alice Cooper or, uh, Kiss. Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Less so Marilyn Manson, more so, uh, the uh, theatricality. Oh, Manson used to put on some amazing stage shows back in the nineties, early two. Yeah, 2000s. but his his stuff it was it was less about the the props and everything, and more about you know the weird things that he would do. You know yeah, what I mean? Very cool. And where you know Alice Cooper would decapitate himself on his All during right. his show. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's there's just I always have kind of leaned more towards. Uh, Cooper than anybody else when I, when I think of Rob Zombie, you know, where, where he's the guy that leans into the Halloween stuff. Um, and, you know, to me, this first film that he did is an absolute visual representation of everything that, you know, he sees and feels and, you know, the way that he carries himself, you know, and, you know, you, you, when I went to see it for the very first time, I saw it the day it came out and I, it was, it was one of those things where I didn't know per se what to expect. Uh, you know, I go and I sit in this multiplex and it's just, it's colorful. It's, you know, it's vibrant but it has almost a non-linear quality to it while still being very linear. 
Yeah, had you seen any previews or knew anything about it? Well, you if, if you watch the original preview, which I obviously had seen because it was, you know, Lionsgate inevitably after Universal looked at what they had paid for, <laughs> uh, they were basically like, fuck this. Uh, so he got it distributed through Lionsgate. And one of the things that Lionsgate did is they promoted the shit out of things because they had a very strong home video market. Right. I I had half expected it to just be released directly to video or DVD at the time and um, did not think it was going to see the inside of a theater. I am absolutely thrilled that it did because I saw it five times in the theater when it was released. Well, I saw it twice. So <laughs> yeah, cool. I, it, was, it was a film that I went and saw just... Way too many fucking times. The first time I saw it, I kind of was absorbing it, you know, and not really, you know, it was being thrust upon me because I didn't know what to expect. But then I would, I would go back and I'd, you know, watch it again and take different things away from it. And it's, it's a film that on its surface, you, it feels very much like a music video. You know, because that was, that was his, his experience in terms of directing up to that point was you uh, know, music I, videos. I would even throw out there that he uses music in his movies almost as good as Tarantino. And again, I, I feel that that's because he's shooting for music rather than allowing the music to enhance the shooting. You, you, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Totally. Because because his experience at that point was shooting music videos. So he's shooting the rhythm of the music rather than letting the music match the rhythm of the movie. Absolutely. So it's, yeah. it's almost like working backwards. And it absolutely works, but it, it doesn't feel like any of his other work. Any of the films that he made after this uh, like specifically Devil's Rejects, you know, he takes on much more of a documentary style to the film. While this feels more like a music video, it feels bigger and, you know, brighter and colorful. And more fun. Yes. And just kind of, you know, campy and wild. And it, and it, it looks like almost as if he made up his mind that this was probably going to be his only chance to ever, you know, use this muscle and and make take an impression shot. on the right people, yeah. And I, I don't even think that he really thought that he would ever get another shot at making a movie. So he just wanted to just put every little thing that he had ever thought about in terms of making a movie into the movie. And uh, so it it definitely feels like five different movies. It, in various points. Um, you know, the, the first portion of the film is very comical and, and it's, again, you know, almost Oliver Stone in quality in the way. Oh, that, yeah, I know, almost went to, uh, like the start of From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the thing that he would do where he would, you know, do a different cut where it would go to, a completely different visual that would represent yeah. the intent and the emotion within the film. You know, so yeah. 
when you see baby and then it goes to her making out with skulls and dancing in front of fire and you know it, you're it, you're getting that subconscious it's, intention it's almost like a really brief backstory yeah and it, and it's again it's just it's a shot you know where it's just like you 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 get that one quick shot of adrenaline and then it's back to business as usual back to the narrative and it works perfectly and you know the, the cast of this film is uh, essentially a who's who of classic horror cinema. You you've got you know well Sid Haig is more of an exploitation director. I had yeah. had uh, not director actor. I had had Sid on um, an episode of Creature Features earlier uh, yeah. this year, and he told a story about. Um, his relationship with Rob and that, you know, basically he was notified that, you know, Rob Zombie wanted him to, you know, be in the film. He went to Rob's wedding and he spoke to his brother and his brother was like, it's just crazy that you're here. You know, he used to watch your films and said, if I ever make a movie, I want that guy in my movies. And, you know, it, it's, it's a testament to the abilities of Sid Haig because Sid Haig, you know, most people, when they look at him, they only really know this character. And, you know, that's, that's really funny because he has this gigantic career that took place way before all of this. You know, the, the films that he did with Jack Hill, he worked with George Lucas, he worked on a James Bond film, you know, and just had like this landmark career. Uh, and it ended in the mid to late 80s where he stepped away. He was brought back by Tarantino and then, you know, he, from what that did he point, do? he was the well, judge in Jackie Brown. Ah, of course he was. Yep. But then he, you know, was asked to do this film with, with Rob Zombie. And the film reinvigorated his career completely. You know, he has worked so much since this movie. And it's just, it's amazing. You know, it, it's, it's one of those careers that you you never expect to have a second life, but it's so refreshing that it does, or that it does, not yeah. it does. Uh, <laughs> you also have you know Karen Black in this film, who was a phenomenal actress. Like, uh, there's a film that she was in with uh, Mark Patton called "Come Back to the Five and Dime," Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. If you haven't seen it, you should fucking go out of your way to search it out. Is that an old 80s movie? Yeah, it's a Robert Altman film, and and it feels like a stage play, but her performance in that is fucking breathtaking. And she's she's so fucking, like, again, just a very unique, deep-cut kind of pull. Uh, She was also in, like, Trilogy of Terror, the original. Um... 
did a just a ton of shit before and then again you know as careers do they they teeter off and you know it's easy for audiences to forget about these people but they are still just tremendously talented um and of course then there's bill mosley who is one of in my opinion uh the greatest character actors of the 80s you know, he, he was in things like Pink Cadillac and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He was in the, the Night of the Living Dead remake. Um, what was his name? Bill Mosley. Bill Mosley? I thought it was Tom Towles. Tom Towles is in this as well. And he was also in the Night of the Living Dead remake. Oh, okay. That's where you threw me off then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Tom Towles. Night of the Living Dead. I'm like, hey, hang on. Henry and, as well. And yeah. Bill Mosley. But uh, Bill Mosley was Johnny in the beginning of the film. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, uh, you mentioned Tom Towles, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Like, Fantastic. you know, terrific fucking character actors that yeah. make this rich world that these unsuspecting, you know, teenagers inhabit. And by teenagers, I obviously am, <laughs> you know, stretching because we've got, you know, Chris Hardwick, who at this point was, again, kind of, in a really awkward place. This was when he was deep in his alcoholism. Yeah. And yeah. he's obviously overweight from all of the drinking and everything that he did. You know, he turned his career around like a, a billion fold, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. His but, podcast was already up and going by the time this was out, wasn't it? No, no. No, it, no he was, like I said, he was barely doing, um, doing uh stand up like that's what he was doing at the po- at that point was, was okay. stand up uh this was kind of post singled out uh but okay. you know, really you know not really doing much but then you also get you know Rain Wilson right before the office takes off oh okay you know what i mean he's this is good, 2003 and that that dude became again a big fucking star following this movie one of my favorite uh, actors is in this as well, Walton Goggins. I'm a big fan of almost yes. everything he's done. Walton Goggins is amazing. And and his stuff on Sons of Anarchy, fucking <laughs> tremendous. Yeah. I was going to say from selling meth on Justified to blowing dudes on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, uh, or uh, his uh, role in The Hateful Eight. He's a terrific actor and again yeah, the shield as well i'm not sure if you've seen that but he was decent as hell in that as well yeah shield's great fucking show and uh yeah. yeah he was he was one of the you know really kind of live wire catalyst characters in that show um so i was totally on on with him being in this film uh another one michael j pollard who has been in everything he he was the the guy who got frozen solid and scrooged uh little oh, dick I, wick plays with his prick <laughs> oh, yeah. I t- i'll tell you someone else i picked up in this uh the the late the girl that went missing the dad that come looking for her mm-hmm. he's he's out of saving private ryan he's the yeah. older ryan. yeah and uh one of the things that uh that rob zombie had said was you know he may have survived World War II, but he wasn't going to survive a Rob Zombie <laughs> film, uh, which I, I thought was just, you know, fucking fantastic. Uh, again, you know, the the casting choices in this film are... You throw, 
throw those two together because they both died basically in the same scene. And yeah. I thought that was pretty damn well. The way they shot the, the old man. Goggins Don. getting shot. Uh, where, yeah, they, but, where they do that slow pull up. Yeah, that I was love fantastic. that. Yeah, Fucking man. love that. And and the, the music kind of goes out and it gets real quiet. Aye. And then it's just that. Yeah. yeah so uh, well done that scene. This film in, in general is really just fantastically made and it, it's almost as if, you know, that particular moment transitions the entire film. Like you get the, uh, red hot pussy lickers sequence, uh, very shortly after this, but tonally the film shifts into a much darker place. You know, at, up to that point, it's very colorful and fun. Even, you know, them turning Rain Wilson into fish boy. Yeah. And they have all their little flashes and that and give you glimpses of what these people were capable of. But as soon as that gun goes off, they show you what they're capable of. And, you know, you get, you get the skin suit, you get the, uh, the sacrifice yeah, dressed, sequence. Dressed up as daddy. Gee whiz. Oh, uh, dude. Uh, who's your daddy? Yeah, daddy I'm kid. the one that brings the Christmas candy. That'd be horrific, wouldn't it? Looking at someone and they're wearing your dad's skin. Yeah, his face. And uh, you know, the boogeyman's real, and you found him. <laughs> uh, you know, There's some the, great one-liners in this. Some great one-liners. You'd stick your head in a fire if you thought you could see hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like there's so much uh just fantastic dialogue and again um it all feels very backwoodsy you know like backwoods philosopher like uh ain't no mickey mouse socks with mickey mouse on one and daisy on the other or some shit like like it's just there's so many random ass things that are said in this fucking film that just uh, and it's largely Bill Mosley's uh character Otis just has some of the best dialogue and even in um Devil's Rejects the same could be said i yeah. you know i just think that he saw or felt something unintangible with that character and really captured lightning in a bottle and um i would say that you know this to me is kind of just a, a perfect amalgam of what Rob Zombie is capable of um, from a writer's standpoint, where Devil's Rejects is what he's capable of from a director's standpoint. You get what I'm saying? Ah, totally, totally. Throw 31 in there as well. Uh, see, and I enjoyed 31, but I felt yes. like there's... And I, and I talked about this when I, when I covered 31, that there's just almost like a going through the motions quality to it. Oh, you know, okay. where yeah. it, it feels like, like it's a reactionary film rather than being, you know, having something to say. That, you know, he, after Devil's Rejects, which was just, everybody fucking loved it. And, you know, they wanted to see what the next thing was. And he takes Halloween on. And, you know, people are like, eh, okay. 
So then he does Halloween 2, and it gets shit on. I didn't find it that bad. Uh, I, I, I felt Halloween 2 was fucking insufferable. Um, uh, okay. But, uh, that's a, that's a conversation for a completely different day. Yeah. Uh, and but then he does Lords of Salem, which I have on more than one occasion. And, and again, I still have to kind of go back and give it another chance because I had had different expectations than what I had gotten. And, um, you know, I felt like it, it, it reeked of art school final film. You know what okay. I mean? Like, yeah. like, not, not of the level that he should be delivering after delivering something as perfect as The Devil's Rejects was to me. Yeah. Uh, that's just my personal opinion, but it, it felt like following Lords of Salem, like he had to do Something where he went back to the well, yeah. where he tried to kind of recapture the magic of house and devils. And that's what 31 is to me, where I fucking love Richard Brake in that film. Uh, there's, there's just, there's a lot that is left to be desired. And again, um, I just felt like it, it was almost as if he was doing it not so much out of a desire to to present something great as much as this is what's expected of me. Do, do you yeah. get what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I understand totally. Like, he, he really felt some way when making Lords of Salem, but then that was, you know, shit all over. So then he's like, well, I guess this is the only thing you guys want to see from me is, you know, these movies that are apparently in the 70s that have, you know, gore and violence and right. are kind of wacky and colorful. And and that's that was my disinterest with 31. It's a good film, and I, and I think I rated it fairly high when we talked about it, but uh, it it's not without its faults. Uh, but then, you know, again, it, it when they take them out to sacrifice them, and she makes her way down into um, the lair of Dr. Satan. Now, we, we just talked briefly about this, the long tunnel with the skeletons everywhere. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. It, but it, then when she opened those doors into his tomb, that room was um, phenomenal. And again, it feels like it's from a different film. Like, yeah. You know, that felt almost like a really gory version of a Hammer film. Yeah, you know what okay. I mean? Like, uh, you know, um, it feels like the catacombs, you know, where the, the walls are lined with fucking skulls and in France or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the, it, it, it looked legit good. Like and, the big you know, they, bone they chandelier. The house of a thousand corpses. You, you call something a house of a thousand corpses, you need to see a thousand corpses. You know what I mean? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And, and so, again, it, it just, it feels tonally different than the rest of the film, but I love it. Uh, you know, you've got Jerry on the, on the table with his fucking scalp split open and, uh, the Dr. Satan is working on him. And again, you know, um, Dr. Satan is just, just visually just one of the coolest 
like creations. You know, yeah, it, it's, he's, it's so random. He's old as fuck, but still looks scary as shit. And it, it feels like he's you know fused together with different projects, and you know, and but that's that's everything about this. Everything has its own world, like tiny. You know, being burned and them telling the story about him being burned and he has the weird mask and, you know, he's really into the ladies and, you know, it's, (laughs) it's so fucking twisted and dark and it, and it, it is reminiscent of like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's reminiscent of, you know, these other types of films, but it's very much inherently its own. It's its own voice. And oh yeah, more so yeah. than you know the rest of his films. It's like listening to a band, and you go, "Oh, you can see what they were influenced by." This movie, you can see what he was influenced by. But he puts his own kind of unique, artistic, oh, yeah, 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 take on every single thing that he does. You he's know, definitely made it his own, but he's let you know where he's come from. The 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 murder ride scene, again, you know, is very much its own thing. While hearkening to things that Willy Wonka, yes, exactly, yeah. and 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 that's what is that where you went it. too, huh? Yeah, went, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. But it's it the way he uh, just described little things and made big things seem minuscule, little things seem big, and uh, it, it's yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Just explaining the different things about Ted Bundy, watching the girls in the back roll their eyes like who gives a shit. The blokes giggling like little schoolgirls. You know, it was it was great. And uh, I really enjoyed the the concept, the mindset that these teenagers. Uh, again, I finger quote is so hard <laughs> um, that they essentially, you know, went to see freak shows. They they were trying to find these, you know, weird places off the side of the road, off the beaten path, and, you know, kind of turn their nose up at these things from a place of, you know, superiority. And then they're made into the things that they've looked down on. Yeah. You know, Rain Wilson's character, Bill, uh, on two separate occasions, once with Karen Black and once with Sid Haig, allows himself to show kind of his true nature that he, you know, he doesn't realize he's being outsmarted by them. Yeah, he thinks he's better than that. He's looking down at them with uh, failing miserably. Yeah, he, he, he thinks that they're you know, dumb country bumpkins and they outwit him in both interactions. And it just, it, there's something really fucking great about that. Um, but again, we could, we could sit here probably all day and pick apart each fucking moment that works about this movie. But, uh, I want to, I want to ask you one thing. mm -hmm. I think you might be doing it here, but, when they uh got their car back, this is you know near the front of the movie. When they got the car back and they all went to leave, and he got out to shut open the gate, and those people dropped down off crosses. Is mm-hmm. that out of another movie? It seemed familiar. Um, I can't think of 
what it might have been from. Uh, the only thing I would think of, honestly, is the Wiz. Oh, okay. Nah, it's not that. <laughs> you know, where they, where they did that, where the scarecrows came to life in the Wiz. Um, but that, that was, that was the one, uh, takeaway that I had had. The Wiz, if you haven't seen it, really fucking has some scary moments. I, I would say. About Black Oz, aren't we? Yeah, it's the Black Wizard yeah. of Oz. Yeah. And, um, they have a, they have a moment where, uh, paintings like graffiti, comes to life um but most of wizard of oz is terrifying and and that's that's another thing that he really you know hits in a lot of different ways where he he takes these childhood things that could be deemed scary and leans into the scare and you know so it, it feels kind of kiddish but it's so uniquely disturbing that like we talked about with the murder ride being like Willy Wonka. You know, there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in this film. Um, but we're going to start wrapping up. So, uh, the way that we wrap up now, again, you haven't been here since everything's changed. So I'll explain it to you and I'll explain it to the audience. We rate the films and the way that we rate is in Reapers. Zero is the absolute worst kind of fucking film. Uh, you wouldn't recommend this to your worst enemy. Uh, five is the best it gets. It doesn't get any better than a five. Uh, you can do like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.8, uh, but where do you land on House of a Thousand Corpses? Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm one of those people that do not hand out perfect scores very often because mm. it's, it takes something special to earn something perfect. I'd give it a four. I would come in a, a little bit four. higher. I would come in at about a 4.5. Uh, this is arguably one of my favorite Rob Zombie films. Uh, and, and it's, I go back and forth on, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects as yeah. my favorite, uh, because it, it, it is really kind of based on the mood. Um, but this is so fucking unique, so stylish and daring the choices that are made in this film that I just, I, I can't rate it much lower than a 4.5. Personally speaking, I just thought that the performances, the, uh, the way that they would draw scenes out the, rather than see, going if, for if the it, easy thing. If you give me a 10, like out of 10, I would have given it a 9. Again, I'm not big on 4 point something either. Mm-hmm. So if it was out of 10, I would have given it a 9 out of 10. That's why I give it a 4. I'm not, not big on four three quarters point seven, you know. It's a, it's closer to five than four. Put it that way. Uh, it's it's a it's a great fucking film. I I'll love it take to it. death. Yeah, love it to death.
I'm the one who brings the Christmas candy. Now tell me, who's your daddy? I'm the one who brings the devil's brandy. Who is your daddy? I'm the one who beats you when you're bad. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Come on, sweetie. Give the old man some sugar. Daddy. <laughs> and I'm the one who loves you when you're fucking dead. Maybe it just ain't a good idea to be prancing around where you don't belong. Some exciting coming attractions from Tonight's brutal murders was described by police as Manson like in its viciousness. Three people brutally murdered and a ten year old boy being held in custody. said a word for 15 years. This summer, Rob Zombie unleashes a unique vision of a legendary tale. Listen, be careful tonight. A lot of nutcases come out on Halloween. Boogeyman real? Why are you so obsessed with the Boogeyman, Tommy? Halloween night, the Boogeyman attacks kids you don't believe. Oh no, Tommy! Boogeyman's gonna get me! I'm gonna cut that mask right off your face. He's come back for his baby sister. To do what? Let's go, 
let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a So, uh, you guys remember Chunky Larry, right, from Creature Features Podcast? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He reached out to me uh, yesterday. He says, hey, man, I'm doing an episode on Rob Zombie. I would love to hear your comments. So, uh, and, you know, I, I don't do these things anymore because I'm just too busy. Um, but I thought, you know, maybe I'll try to record something for you because, you know, I have my negative thoughts t- towards Rob Zombie as not a, a music <laughs> artist, but as a... A movie director. So I thought we would do that right now. Just one or two minutes. Our thoughts as a whole, not as a whole, but as individuals on Rob Zombie, the movie director. You guys up for that? Sure. Why not? And then, and then Larry can download this and cut it out and he can do all the real hard work if he wants to use it in his uh, podcast episode. So I'm, I'm of the opinion he is not a very good movie director. That's it. Okay. Uh, is that it? No, <laughs> style over substance. What about you guys? Go ahead, Mark. Well, you got to take into consideration he started out as a video director, and you know his style of filmmaking works perfectly for a short three-minute video, and when. <laughs> House of a Thousand Corpses came out, I thought it was something fresh and something new because, you know, at that point, horror films were pretty stagnant in the early 2000s. So mm-hmm. I thought it was refreshing. And, you know, it just, you know, it was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre homage ripoff. Right, right. But, you know, it was something fresh at that time. And House of a Thousand, uh, the follow up, <clears throat> Devil's Rejects. I enjoyed that because it was an homage to seventies films as well. And would you and would he, you say the Devil's Rejects is not even a horror movie? It's straight up exploitation film. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. I, I personally I'm of the opinion it's his only good movie. Yeah, pretty much because after that it was just rinse and repeat and the water just kept getting dirtier and dirtier and dirtier <laughs> to the point where it's like just stop. Just go back to music. And forget you ever wanted to be a motion picture filmmaker. Iris? Um, okay, so I like his concepts, just like you, Mark. I extremely I really like the concept and the creativity that he does bring to the genre. I don't know if I want to say genre. I mean the the Lords of Salem. I personally enjoy that one because Boring. I, I, but I liked all the weirdness that it came in. You know, I'm, it was kind of different. I don't consider yeah, that really a horror do movie. Stanley Kubrick on acid. Sure. That's, it's a perfect. Okay, well, maybe that because I was in the mood for that. I don't consider that one a horror movie nor his other stuff. 
I really, like you guys were saying, I really think it's more exploitation than anything. But I got bored of what he was doing after it's, a while. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a bunch of hillbillies standing it, around it, cussing at each right. other. Right. Let's, r- let's, let's run the film through uh, uh, a filter that gives it a grindhouse look. Let's hire a bunch of old 70s actors who he's still doing to this day. Like, dude, that's tiring. And let's use my wife, who was hot 20 years ago, in yeah. every movie. Maybe that's what also gets to me. It's like, oh, she's in there again. It's kind of like Tim Burton and his, his wife, a Bonham. You know, she's in every single one of his movies. And she was never hot. So. No, <laughs> ever, never. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, you know, uh, creativity and, and you know, fresh when at the beginning. But then I got bored. Petered up pretty quick. Let's go through his, his movies here and then we'll uh, tell Larry to, hey, feel free to cut and paste this anyway. Um, house, not at all. Or not at all. House of, Thousand Cor- <laughs> house of Thousand Corpses, yay or nay? I say... Yay. Yay. I say yeah. nay. I still enjoy it. It's... <clears throat> I think it's a, a fever dream version of the family. Like, you know, the follow film, Devil's Rejects, is more of a realistic version of them. Yeah. And this is like a story told from a you know, third-person perspective. Okay, Devil's Rejects, yay or nay? Not as much gay as it used to be. Yeah, but, but I was I was all about this film when it first came out, and I think I just wore it out. Sure, it's a yay for me. It's the I only say, film I like. Yeah, I will say yay. Halloween, obviously the remake. Nay, I have to say yay. Sorry, I kind of like it. There's some of it I like. There's a uh, director's I like more cut. Than I don't like. There's a cut of the film that <clears throat> was leaked to the internet before it was officially released. It's never seen a uh, release on DVD or Blu-ray. I prefer that cut to what eventually came out. Okay. But it's not one, not one that I'm going to go back to. Halloween 2, yay or nay? Nay for me. A big nay. Worst movie he's made. I think it's the best Halloween movie in the entire franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the horse, no, it's, it's terrible. Okay, so I washed my hands of zombie after this. I said, I'm not watching his movies anymore because the guy's a one-trick pony. Lord of Salem, I can't chime in on it. Yay or nay? Yay. Okay, and uh, and then I had to watch one because it was free on Netflix, and it got such hatred that I had to watch it. 31 nay here. Fuck that movie. Here's nope. the thing about that movie. If you cannot get the proper backing to make the film you want to make, don't fucking make it. Don't make half the film. Even if he did finish the film like he originally envisioned it, <clears throat> it's still just the most dangerous uh, game ripoff. Yep. And it's it's so shitty. It's, it's, it, I love the way it's filmed. Again, it's it's um that's one thing he he thrives at. I think the way he films things, it's Lots of uh, terrific style, I think, but there's just nothing there. Okay, the last one, Three from Hell, I didn't see it, so I can't chime in. I haven't seen that. I don't even know what it is. Uh, 30 Minute. That's the sequel to Devil's Reject. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, the one where they all died at the end. Well, well, (laughs) technically, I don't think they get shot on screen, so. Yes, they do. There's 
like 800,000 bullet hits at the end of that film. It, it was all probably by Bonnie and Clyde, but without the Bonnie and too Clyde. Busy. He was too busy singing Freebird at the end. <laughs> I totally was. I was air guitaring Freebird. Okay, Larry, there you have it, pal. Uh, our thoughts. And, of course, this is Mike Iris and Mark from the Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts podcast at exploitationfilm.com. Hope that helps with your with your um, episode. If not, I'm not doing it again, pal. Love you, man. But we do miss you as well. So, um, yeah. you know, hang in there, brother. Pleased to bring you our feature presentation. What police have uncovered reads like this. Words can't describe it. Are we here? We are playing on a level that most will never see. gonna start to kill him. You best start it right here. Okay, hope you guys are keeping score. We are well into this Rob Zombie uh, Director Spotlight episode. We're going to get into his second feature. We're going to be talking about The Devil's Rejects. And the way that we're going to do that is the way that we always do these things. We're going to start with the synopsis of 2005's The Devil's Rejects. This is the sequel to Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, set some time after the original film's plotline. It opens with a raid on the murderous Firefly home by Ruggsville County Sheriff John Wydell, brother of Firefly victim Deputy George Wydell from the first film. After a shootout in which several deputies are killed, with one son killed, Mother Firefly is captured. Baby and Otis escape and rendezvous later with their Firefly patriarch, the mad clown Captain Spaulding. After a mind-blowing murder escapade at a dusty desert motel, they retreat to a frontier town whorehouse run by Spaulding's adopted brother, Charlie. While Sheriff Wydell slowly loses his mind in his quest for revenge, he enlists the help of two 
equally disgusting bounty hunters, and tracks the trio, now dubbed the Devil's Reject by the media, to their location, and sets the stage for a final showdown. Pretty much it. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I hope you guys have enjoyed this show. We are we have been the Creature Features podcast. Listen with someone you trust. All that good stuff. Um, no, uh, <laughs> one of these days I'm gonna do that. I, I make that joke all the time, but uh, one of these days it's gonna happen. So, um, I'm gonna talk kind of my opinions on this film. And then we'll get into the bonus cuts. Obviously, this is a two-part episode already, so the bonus cuts won't be split up. It'll all be just kind of hodgepodge meshed together, which... I don't know. For my money, I like it split up. I like it in small doses. But this situation is... Yeah. Like... To talk about the Devil's Rejects, I have to talk about House of a Thousand Corpses. House of a Thousand Corpses, for me, was like a game changer of a movie. It was like like an acid trip and a cartoon and you know a fun horror romp. And Rob Zombie made the express intention to do the antithesis of that film. Or at least that was the the goal. And the film itself looks like a totally polar opposite film. There's, you know, there's the... Um, kind of documentary style that they approach in the film that gives it kind of a grittier, uglier feel, and just situations, uh, situationally it's, you know, they, they're essentially doing the same stuff that they were doing in House of a Thousand Corpses, but it's just, it's about tone, and it's about, you know, context, and This is this is kind of a bipolar film, in the sense that it it's very playful and it's happy-go-lucky. One minute, and then the next minute, it's very intense and serious, and and that's kind of the equivalent of being around an actual psychopath. If uh, if you've ever been around somebody with like genuine mental issues that's the way it works it's it's kind of a, a hodgepodge or like a grab bag of emotions and you're never really certain what you're going to be getting when you interact with that person you know there are times when they can be charming and you know fun and funny then just turn on the dime and they're very uncomfortable to be around. And I, I would argue that that was Captain Spaulding to a large degree in the first film. But this film just kind of dwells in that place. And I, I, I kind of relay 
uh, Devil's Rejects to like the morning after a drunk hookup. You know, you you look at you know you, everything's great. You're having a good time. You know, she's beautiful or he's beautiful, whatever whatever your fucking you know get down is, and then you wake up the next day, everything's bright and you don't have those rose-colored glasses on and you can see the ugliness for what it is and it's just it's not as pretty or as fun as you remember it it's just kind of okay um, I was I went along with this <laughs> and, um, you know the, there's there's tons of examples of that uh, specifically the way that Captain Spaulding's introduced you know, he's, he has this uh, foreboding nightmare with, you know, everything. He's in the throes of passion, and he's having sex, and then it turns into him dying. And, you know, when he wakes up from the dream, he, he wakes up in this kind of, like, crusty ass. Um, it's the same crusty ass fucking mobile home. It's just with a less attractive woman, and, uh, you know, she asks him if he had a bad dream, and he looks at her, he goes, eh, (laughs) 50-50. Speaking of that scene, there are tons of cool cameos in this film, kind of throughout, and um, I tried to write them down as as I thought about him, um, and then I also looked up and found one that I did not know was in there. Alright, so, uh, we've got Mary Warrenov in the credit sequence. She's the old woman that is murdered by Otis when Baby's pretending to be unconscious in the road. She's like a nurse. And, um, PJ Souls from Halloween, and, um, she was also in Carrie, she plays the mom that Captain Spaulding steals the car from, and both sets of transportation that were stolen by the Firefly family in this film had cameos from actresses from the film Rock and Roll High School, which I thought I thought was interesting. Um, but more cool cameos: we got Michael Berryman, we got DDP, Ginger Lynn. Uh, we. I mentioned Ginger Lynn. She's, you know, the porn actress who was having sex with Captain Spaulding and ultimately blew his brains out in the dream sequence in the beginning of the film. Uh, Steve Railsback, who played Ed Gein. Um, he played Sheriff Ken Dwyer. Uh, Robert Trebor, who played Salmonius on Hercules and Xena, like, one of the... It was Salmonius and Joxer for me. What up, Dylan? <laughs> but the one that blew my hair back was that Kane Hodder played uh, an officer in a gas mask in this movie. He was uncredited. Never knew he was in this fucking movie. This movie's been out for 16 years and never fucking a clue. Not even a single one. Um... The Michael Berryman cameo, where yeah, he's like, the dude's like, uh, y'all ain't planning on fucking these chickens, are you? <laughs> it's, 
again, it, it's this this movie has you know this weird ability to bounce back and forth between surrealist like violence and surrealist comedy and you know no example of that is better than Banjo and Sullivan the the, the whole Banjo and Sullivan sequence is perfectly like you know one of the things I hate about horror films but I also love about them is that we idolize these murderers and we we look at we look past the fact that they're doing these hideous insane fucking vile things because he makes them look cool very much like the way uh, pop culture makes serial killers look cool you know Charles Manson's a perfect example and this this movie feels more Manson family than House of a Thousand Corpses did uh, even though Otis you could you could see you know the fingerprints of Manson on Otis even in House of a Thousand Corpses where he's just talking kind of um, erratically you know just saying nonsensical things and, and like uh, just moon babble and in this one you know they again it feels very much like the Manson family how they had their farm and they were off from the beaten path and they were you know now don't get me wrong Manson family didn't have thousands of corpses underneath their house or anything like that they they did murder people and I would never you know imply that they didn't murder enough people or anything like that because that would be fucking bizarre but um they weren't like you know the Sawyers or anything like that but they're infamous they're synonymous and there was a weird kind of thing where they made Charles Manson this pop culture icon. People wear his face on t-shirts and you know there's just this this thing where people think oh no he's cool and he would be cool to me but more than likely he would fucking murder you or torture you or do some god awful thing to you. And you know, you get the the band Banjo and Sullivan, you're introduced to them, and they're, you know, again, it just feels innocuous. And then you get Brian Posehn, who's just unnecessarily hilarious in this film, and so, in a really understated way. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey Lewis, Priscilla Barnes, and Lou Temple. I don't, I don't know what the what Lou Temple's wife's, the actress's name was. She wasn't great. Uh, she was she was the weak point in this band in terms of performances in the movie. But the rest of the team, or the rest of that band, uh, each one of them did something that 
just genuinely, I enjoyed. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis is fucking amazing in this movie as as fucking Roy, and he's he's just like this lecherous good old boy that he, like he 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 carries himself like he's just a sweet old man, but the second he has some baby pussy right in his face. He's just like, oh, say it again, say it again. And, you know, you, you could argue that when you reach a certain age, you don't get that attention, and you, you want to be flattered by that attention. But he, he was ready to, he was ready to get in that. And, uh, again, like I said, you know, it's, you expect for these killers on a run to kill you expect you know like I said the moon babble from from Otis you expect baby to be playful and kind of like a pseudo Harley Quinn and you know what you don't expect is what happens in the Kahiki Palms Motel and, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, they blow Posein's brains out. Posein's brains. <laughs> That's a Jackie Brown reference for anybody that, uh, wanted to look that up. But, um, Lou Temple, you know, Lou Temple is a guy that. Rob Zombie ended up using a few times after this. Just looks like a guy that was tailor-made for Rob Zombie movies. Um, he picks up people like that as he goes along and, you know, if I remember to bring it up in latter reviews, I will. Uh, but, you know, he's... The Sullivan and Banjo and Sullivan, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have their their character names written up, but I'm just going off of memory. But, um... You know, the, the, the film is fun and playful until we get to the rape scene. And, and it's just like... It's this weird bizarre fucking thing where it just seems like wow it's weird he raped the shit out of this fucking woman and it's this really just evil and ugly and unsettling rape scene where Otis you know forces Priscilla Barnes to blow it in front of her husband and the rest of the band and, you know, puts his gun in her underwear. It's just, it's a really, really just hard scene to watch. And then it almost immediately goes back to the yucks. And it's like, at first you're like, whoa, I, I don't feel like laughing. And then we get more, you know, fucking, like, just 
irreverent kind of comedy. And it, and you you get far enough away from the rape scene that you start to lose the sting of the comedy. And they they manage to do this weird thing where you know you could still like these people after this very very fucking horrific act is you know played out um so i I just like to me in that point in its own you know makes this fucking just unique we've been talking for almost 20 minutes and i have not brought up uh john wydell played by william forsight uh just a fucking like you you think about you think about fucking the devil's rejects or the firefly family or you know whatever you want to call them and they're these backwoods fucking violent monsters that have this kind of charismatic charm that gives them a pass for a lot of the atrocious things they do, as per mentioned in the previous uh, bit where I was talking about rape. Um, William Forsythe as Wydell is absolutely that as well. And he just, like, like, hand in glove with this world that he's inhabiting. Except more this world than than the world of House of a Thousand Corpses. I, I, again, I I look at the two films as night and day. Corpses is night, weirdly enough, and Rejects is day, and it's you know all of the light is shined on these atrocities and. And so you have to make peace with the fact that you've been buddied up with these monsters. Because that's that's kind of part of the charm of this film. And, and the real major takeaway of charm is the dialogue. I, I wrote a, I wrote down a couple of my favorite different my favorite lines in the movie and um, you know, if you decide you want to tell me what your favorite lines are, by all means, um, you know, you'll know where to send those. If you, if this is your first episode, you're listening just because of Rob Zombie. Um, at the end of the show, I tell you where to send all that shit. But uh, my favorite quotes are as follows: I think I could smell your wife's pussy stink on my gun. Hope it doesn't rust the barrel. It's a fucked up line. <laughs> that is a fucked up line. Like, he just raped this woman in front of him. And it's a power dynamic. But, fuck, yeah. Um, so, the other Otis line that I love is, uh, Boy, the next word that comes out of your mouth better be some brilliant fucking Mark Twain shit. Because it's definitely getting etched on your tombstone. Um, I mean, is there a better line? I, you know, 
I've, I'm hard pressed to think of a better like badass thing to say in a movie. Uh, that that one's fucking amazing. Uh, only one line from Baby that really just pop pops me every time, and it's uh, God damn, look at that jacket. <laughs> when when they when they burst into the uh, hotel and they're taking them hostage and everybody's screaming and there's all this shit's going on. She's just, you know, because she's baby, she's like like a, like a cat with a ball of string just drawn by something shiny and pretty and uh, she's talking about a jacket on TV and it's just... Uh, I, I think that that's, you know, one of, one of the better kind of, like... Give somebody a line that explains a character, and uh, that's that's what Rob Zombie does with all of his fucking dialogue. I got two Wydells for you, and um, I, I couldn't decide between which Wydell line really kind of encompassed who Wydell is as as a character because he's he's a unique character. You know, he's he's a guy that. You know, has lived his entire life um, by a set of rules, by the law. He, he hold, upholds the law. And his brother being murdered makes him question his faith in that law. But it, he's a man of faith. He talks about God a lot. And um, that he's, you know, the righteous servant of God. And, um, just, just a tremendous fucking performance by William Forsythe. Um, but I got two lines that I said um, were the two that I couldn't decide between uh, to kind of give you Wydell uh, or uh, help you understand who Wydell is. So we're going to start with the beginning of the film. Uh, he says, uh, Dying's not an option. Now you stick that back in that gray matter of yours, and you make that stick. Because any other thought is going to get you cold slab, toe tag, and mailed home to your mama in a plastic bag. Are we crystal? Uh, you know, just, just, you know, badass lawman kind of shit. You know, uh, just, again, fucking tremendous dialogue. <clears throat> and then the last one, uh, again, because I, I just particularly partial to this line. Son, if you ever say another derogatory word about Elvis and Presley in my presence again, I will kick the living shit out of you. Um, I've definitely used that line in real life. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, again, just weird deviations. And I... I like... I don't want to praise the devil or cast out Jesus in order to praise the devil, um, but just performance-wise, this movie is next level comparatively to um, House of a Thousand Corpses, which House of a Thousand Corpses has some great moments, and you know I, I would say that Bill Mosley's performance is consistent throughout you know he's is very 
unique kind of caricature of a hillbilly badass and you know you, again you you find yourself falling in love with this this group of just awful people um but again one of the just best performances in this film was Leslie Easterbrook and she's barely in it and it's overdone as fuck but it just it absolutely works for what's going on she she feels like a witch and um uh, like she she has this part where she's like you go get him sheriff and uh it's like oh they're gonna get all up in your head you found yourself in something you ain't never get out of <laughs> it's just like uh, i get chills watching her perform in that film and you know to step into the role originally played by karen black and just just crush it the fucking way that she does is is tantamount to fucking like illegal it, it should be illegal it should be a crime to be as good in a reprised role or not reprised a, a role that you took over and to be that much fucking better it's just it's breathtaking to me because I'm I'm sure that Karen Black could do it because I, you know, I've seen Karen Black do some amazing work. But Leslie Easterbrook, dude, she does this shit where she's just, she just jumps into this role feet first and doesn't see if there's any water in the pool. And I fucking love it. Um, in the dynamic between her and Forsythe's character is Wydell. It's flirtatious, but, you know, murderous. Very much the inverse of her relationship with his brother, George, in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses with Karen Black. Um, so I, I just, you know, I really think that that was like a, a, a special treat that was added into the film that wasn't necessarily there, you know, maybe on paper. I, and I think that getting that actress who had something to prove meant a lot to this film. And, you know, if you remember Leslie Easterbrook, she was the smoking hot cop in the Police Academy movies. So it's, it's interesting to see that this is what she does from that and I, I fucking love it um again this this film is about victims and victimization and in a weird way the fireflies or the devil's rejects or whatever you want to call them uh end up becoming the victims and, and again if you look at the the fucking scene in the hotel as kind of a turning point in the film which it is it absolutely is it's it's like uh, the peak and then you know the, it's 
it's peaks and valleys and 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 I would say that the valleys aren't very deep, but the peaks are really high, if that makes sense. And um, so they they have this sequence, and it and it it's the catalyst for the rest of the film. I would say you know where George is killed in House of a Thousand Corpses is the catalyst for um, this entire other story. The the Tahiki Palms Hotel scene is the catalyst in, in this film to transition kind of the mood, but they they're able to kind of dip back into that mood with Charlie Altamont and um, <clears throat> you know the frontier town fucking brothel, which is very much you know a western kind of approach. I I looked at. Um, at this film as being kind of like uh, Butch and Sundance but with the Manson family and you know I don't know if that's that that's an apt assessment but that's my assessment and so you, you, you get the chicken fucking scene and everybody's having a good time it's a party but um, Wydell it's the assistance of uh, DDP and Danny Trejo, the unholy two, and um, I, I, I thought it would have been cool to call them like Satan's assholes or some shit, but uh, the unholy two, and they end up tracking them down, and again, like, Wydell, he, he does this thing where he's intimidated Altamont to basically um, keep his mouth shut and keep them kind of occupied so they can wrangle them up. And against his better judgment, he does it. And he, you know, he's just like, it's just business. And Ken Foray, dude. Ken fucking Foray. Um... I don't know if you guys, anybody listening to this has ever been to a convention and met Ken Foray, but he is fucking Charlie Altamont, dude. Like, that is, that is Ken Foray to a T. Very much like how uh, Sid Haig is Spalding, you know, or was Spalding, and like, if you ever got a chance to talk to Sid Haig, you would understand, like, this is Sid Haig just turned the fuck up. Um, same thing with Ken, and again, you know, there's this weird dynamic where he's this charismatic dude who also ends up being just a fucking downright shitty human being. But he he gets a, he gets his opportunity for redemption, but it, it's just like. The whole fucking Frontier Town brothel is, again, just another fucking weird deviation. Because you get characters like Michael Berriman and E.G. Daly, who, E.G. Daly, if you guys don't know, um, was a voice actor for, like, Rugrats. <laughs> and, uh, beautiful woman, and just talking about jerking off people and 
dressing up like Princess Leia to get fucked. It's it's a weird dynamic for me because I recognize her voice in kids' cartoons. And then, yeah, uh, but neither here nor there. We are taken back to the Firefly house by Foresight after just a fucking phenomenal scene with him and his dead brother George and again uh, another transition scene because we're, we're gonna get into this really kind of heavy torture sequence and you you, you see uh, Otis he has this line when he kills Banjo and Sullivan uh, Lou Temple's character spits up at him and says, fuck you. And he says, uh, that's what you all say. Fuck you. And, you know, it doesn't change anything and it doesn't suddenly make you a fucking hero. Um, so now they've turned the tables on the devil's rejects and they're now at the mercy of Wydell. And they're doing exactly the things that the victims would do in this situation. They're trying to save face, but also get through and, and you know, survive. Because they know that they're scared, but they're not wanting to show that they're scared. They're not wanting to show their suffering. But they're suffering and they're scared. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place, but... I, I just I think of the scene at the end of the film when Otis stops the car and the look on his face the realization that there's like he's like he's trying to do the math in his head of how am I going to get out of this there's no way out of this and you know the, them just accepting their fate but White L tortures the shit out of him he staple guns photos of victims on them he fucking hammers Otis's hands into the chairs so he now has uh, stigmata <laughs> and it just gets carried away he he turns the run rabbit run and uh, baby's whole rabbit thing shoo shoo said the rabbit from house of a thousand corpses on baby and uh leaves Spalding and Otis in the house tied chairs to burn as he sets the house ablaze. Charlie um, comes in has his redemption as he you know, tries to help Baby to safety and gets an axe for his troubles hacked to fucking death because uh, once uh, Wydell made the decision to kill fucking uh, Mother Firefly. I believe the the scene where he kills Mother Firefly is right after his uh, meeting with his brother, George. Because George is, of course, was killed by Mother Firefly, so I, it, would, it would only be fitting that the first person he kills after that scene would be Mother Firefly. And then that's this that's what he needed to embolden him to to do what he knew he needed or wanted to do and to you know look past uh, the archaic rules of 
being a lawman and go back to the way that it used to be where it was vigilante justice and um but yeah they're they're in a, inevitably saved by tiny who we get to see at um the beginning of the film and then he comes back at the end to save the day um the actor matt mcgory who played tiny uh, sadly died before the film was released uh, very much like grandpa died before house of a thousand corpses was released so they had to uh, they both had their film posthumously released and there was a rest in peace to both of them at the end of those films so um fortunately they have him walk into a fire so they can't try to come up with a way to write him back into the movie like like the three from hell. <laughs> um, we'll get there. Uh, but, you know, they, they escape the Firefly house as it burns to the ground and they do the scene where they play Freebird and, you know, they're all beat to shit. They've been tortured. They've been Stabbed, they've been staple gunned, they've been, you know, fucking stigmated, <laughs> and just like they've they've had a rough go of things. So they're driving, and they see the police have uh, barricaded the road, and you know, they're outlaws. They're not gonna go not shooting their way out, and so they drive into a hail of bullets and it just like it's a perfect way for this story to end you know because House of a Thousand Corpses ended open-ended and then they they decided you know we're not gonna do that with this we're gonna just we're just gonna let this be and it's very much like Halloween 2 not not Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. We'll get to that. But, you know, Halloween 2, where Carpenter was kind of talked into coming back. He's like, yeah, but I'm going to kill the, the reason that you want me to keep coming back. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, for the longest time, this was the end of the, end of the movies. And it should have stayed that way. Not for nothing. Um, but you'll get my opinions on Three From Hell later. Uh, Reaper Time. This is a five for me. I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm going to give most of these films fives. But this is absolutely a five. I fucking love this movie. I think that it it does... And I, and I feel like I've tried to explain this through the course of this review. It has this really interesting dynamic or not even dynamic but this through line thought point that these people aren't good people but they're charismatic enough for you to forget the fact that they're not good people and I think that's all of the people in the film um, there's not a character that I can cite or even kind of think about that comes to mind that was good, pure, or kind. Um, so, 
uh, just phenomenal movie. It it feels like they managed to capture a idea of what the 70s felt like, or at least Rob Zombie's idealized interpretation of the 70s. Um, yeah, so for me, um, we're going to get into the bonus cuts, but uh, Devil's Rejects Reaper score is 5. Okay, you heard the song. It is time for bonus cuts, which is the point where I get high and read you fun factoids about the film in question. This particular film is the 2005 film The Devil's Rejects, and uh, I try to put these together so it kind of tells the story, uh, and and weigh in on my my own way as I go, but... um, primarily facts at this point so when Rob Zombie wrote House of a Thousand Corpses he did have a vague idea that he wanted the brother of the sheriff who was murdered by the Firefly family to come back for revenge so he he operated under the hope that it would be well received and that there would be uh, hunger or uh, desire for a follow-up. He was right. Um, After Lionsgate Entertainment made back all of their money on the first day of House of a Thousand Corpses um, theatrical release, they wanted Zombie to make another film. So it was good that he had already kind of had a plan in mind. He left it open-ended again, I'm assuming, with the hope that somebody would enjoy it and he'd be able to expound upon his original idea. Uh, In an interview with AV Club, Rob Zombie said 
The first film turned out a little wackier and campier than I originally intended. But as we were shooting, uh, that's the tone that it was turning out to be. Movies sometimes dictate their own course, so I just kind of went with it. And on Devil's Rejects, I really wanted to scale it back and try to make it a, make it something a lot grittier and nastier. When those moments dictated, I wanted the violence to be a lot more horrific and the characters to just seem more like real people, not cartoon characters. And I, I pretty much mirror that sentiment from my assessment that this just has a, an uglier feel and a more realistic feel that House of a Thousand Corpses was you know, surrealistic and colorful and wild and, you know, non-linear in a, in a very interesting and good way. And uh, it absolutely works for that, that film. It has kind of music video logic, but this is very much more of a documentary-feeling film um, and just grittier, just an overall depiction. Rob Zombie hired Phil Parmet who shot the documentary Harlan County, USA, because he wanted to adopt a handheld camera documentary look. And again, uh, you, you feel that really right away when you're watching the film. Uh, that, that shootout sequence, it feels like, <clears throat> like third person, you know, just um, very, very solid camera work. Uh, so now we're going to talk a little bit about near misses and uh, I had talked in the review portion about you know some of the cool cameos and stuff um, we'll start with casting changes uh, first of all uh, Robert Allen Mukes who played Rufus in House of a Thousand Corpses was replaced with Tyler Maine Tyler Maine would go on to play Michael Myers in Rob Zombie's Halloween remakes. Uh, Karen Black had demanded a higher salary to return as Mother Firefly, assuming that the budget was going to be higher and that she would be able to kind of rake them over the coals for money. Uh, this was a Lionsgate film. This was not a Universal film. When the film was, when House was made, it was made by Universal. It was picked up by Lionsgate. When Devil's Rejects was made, it was just a Lionsgate film, so it was an independent film, and Zombies said that the budget was actually lower for Devil's Rejects than it was for House of a Thousand Corpses. And again, they were shooting on the Universal backlot. Uh, that was not the case for Devil's Rejects. So they had to go another way. They ended up uh, replacing her with veteran actress Leslie Easterbrook, and, uh, you know, again, I, I hate to even say this, but I think they traded up. I love Karen Black. Rest in peace. She's a tremendous actress, but Leslie, Leslie Easterbrook just brought something else to the film. Uh, so people that were up for roles that I, I just, I would have fucking, like, specifically, uh, David Hess had auditioned for one of the roles of the Bounty Hunters. That would have been fucking amazing. Like, if he would have been one of the unholy two, like him and Danny Trejo, fuck yeah. I, like, dude. <laughs> like, uh, 
you know, you you get Last House David has in a Rob Zombie movie. Like that's like seems like just a fucking no brainer, and he could have been just creepy David Hess. I would have, I would have fucking just done a cartwheel for that. Um, Chris Jericho also auditioned for one of the uh, bounty hunters. He had auditioned for the role of Rondo, but was told he was too pretty, and uh, Danny Trejo was instead cast. James Avery was considered for the role of Charlie, but I, you know, I, just not for nothing. Uh, that would have been okay, but Ken Foray was the much more sensible choice for this role. I just, I, you know, to me, he is the Black Sidhig, and uh, I, I, like, in in the most respectful way possible, <laughs> and it's. It's just something that I fucking... I could not see anybody else playing that character. Um, the film originally had a subplot involving scenes with Dr. Satan. Uh, in an interview, Rob Zombie said that these scenes were cut because seeing Dr. Satan in the film would be like seeing Chewbacca in Bonnie and Clyde. The scenes were restored for DVD. He was... Uh, you can find these on YouTube as well. Uh, Dr. Satan is in the hospital. Rosario Dawson originally had a small part uh, playing a nurse. Her character was cut out of the film because he didn't need Dr. Satan. And Dr. Satan ended up killing her and she bled all over the place. And if you look at the scene where Wydell takes the scrapbooks to Mother Firefly and she pulls out the photos of her brother... If you look at his deputy, who's also uh, the actor who played Deputy Dewey in uh, the scary movie, uh, the Wayans Brothers scary movie, not not Scream. He, he played. Uh, it's not Deputy Dewey, but De- Deputy Doofus. So he plays a Deputy Doofus in both of these films, and um, both are done straight up for the sake of comedy. Uh, Natasha Leone was originally slated to play Candy, but was later replaced by Elizabeth Daly. I think E.G. Daly was the fantastic, like, like if if I had my druthers between Natasha Leone or E.G. Daly to play a kind of foul-mouthed prostitute, E.G. Daly, all fucking day, and three times on Sunday. Um... Also, another E.G. Daly fact is uh, Deborah Van Valkenburg and E.G. Daly were both in 1984 Streets of Fire as Reva and Baby Doll, respectively. Uh, movie took 30 days to film, and um, a little bit of uh, William Forsythe uh, information. Rob Zombie told William Forsythe. Uh, to base Sheriff Whitell on a combination of Lee Marvin and Robert Shaw, which I think he he definitely has that kind of staunch authority figure of Lee Marvin. Robert Shaw is kind of like a wild man to me, um, so I can see both of those things, but he also brings this thing that plays out through the course of the film where he's He's teetering the line, and he's he's trying to make peace with doing dastardly things for the right reason. And um, so, yeah, it just 
can't say enough about his performance and apparently neither can Cherry Moon Zombie because she was so emotionally drained during the shooting of a scene with William Forsythe um, that required her to cry that she was so affected that she had to take uh, two to three hours to film and could not work for two days after. And, you know, nepotism be damned, I'm sure. I'm sure that had nothing to do with the fact that she was the wife of the director and writer. Uh, I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> the Blue Vans Plates spells Aku, which means evil in Japanese. I did not know that. That was very interesting, so I threw it into the facts. Um, there was around 100 digital facts shot that appear in the film mostly to create gore, the scenes involving objects coming into direct contact with skin, like throat slitting, people getting shot in the head or neck, or stabbings were created digitally, the violence that didn't involve direct skin contact, like people getting shot in the areas covered by clothing, were achieved practically. I hate that fucking term. Rob Zombie originally intended to create all the special effects using techniques available in the 1970s, but time constraints prevented this. Um, all the scenes were filmed within a block of each other, and Spaulding's house was not altered in any way. They found it as is, only adding household items as if it was lived in. Uh, the house used as the Firefly home or farm was recreated on Sable Ranch in Santa Clarita, California. Prior to filming, it was located in the middle of a forest and had been standing there for a long time. It was used in many films throughout the 1990s. Uh, the Firefly Ranch was also used for the pilot episode of Supernatural, and it was eventually destroyed by wildfires in July of 2016. Uh, the film for release and reception uh, it ended up winning the most vile villain for the Fire 5 family for um, and best horror movie at the 2006 Scream Awards the movie had to be cut seven times that's right seven in order to receive an R rating from the MPAA according to Rob Zombie the censors had an issue with the film's overall tone specifically the motel scene between Priscilla Barnes and Bill Mosley. The scene had to be cut by two minutes for the theatrical release. The cut footage was restored to the DVD version. So if you have the unrated, uncut version, the full version of that very awful scene is in there. Um, Rob Zombie stated in an interview that up until 31, The Devil's Rejects was probably the hardest film of his to cut down in order to receive an R rating. And the Family Media Guide claims that the word fuck and its variations are used 224 times. However, other sources list the count at 560, which until the release of fuck 2005 was a record with the previous holder was nil by mouth in 97. Uh, which had a count of 470. So, the 
Um, also, Stephen King had this in his top 10 of 2005 at number 9. And um, I believe it was The Shark and the Whale that he had had at number 1 for 2005. I had the information, but apparently deleted it. Oh, no, it was The Squid and the Whale, not The Shark and the Whale. The Squid and the Whale. That's like a sci-fi movie as opposed to, you know, pretentious fucking... Anyway, uh, here is what he wrote in regards to The Devil's Rejects. The Devil's Rejects, in the midst of last summer's stream of carefully packaged TV dinners, came this sicko Rob Zombie's greeting card about a posse of outlaws led by a killer clown named Captain Spaulding. No redeeming social merit. Perfect 70s C-pictured cheesy glow. This must be what Quentin Tarantino meant when he did those silly Kill Bill pictures. He gave it a B rating. Um, it's B. I guess you, you can't expect Stephen King to be completely a fan. Um, let's let's do the the box office and budget. Uh, the budget for this was seven million. The box office was twenty point nine. So I'd say it's pretty good success. I think that people are going to want him to make more. Uh, now is my favorite part, at least for me. Uh, this is where we get to pull a review that was released in the time that the film was released. This was released J July 22nd, 2005. And the title of the article is The Further Adventures of a Murderous Clan. This was on the New York Times, and the writer of this article is Dana Stevens. Two years after his feature film debut, with the cult horror hit House of a Thousand Corpses, the heavy metal musician Rob Zombie, founder and lead singer of the band White Zombie, continues his experiment in arthouse schlock with the second installment of The Adventures of the Murderous Firefly Family. The Devil's Rejects opens with a police raid on a decaying farmhouse somewhere in the south. After a bloody shootout culminating in the capture of Mother Firefly, played by Leslie Easterbrook, the only escapees are Otis, played by Bill Mosley, and his sister Baby, played by Sherry Moon Zombie, the director's real-life wife. Those two sadistic siblings hit the road, eventually hooking up with their father, a deranged clown known only as Captain Spaulding played famously by the great late Sid Haig. That's my addition to this, so she didn't say that. Uh, the three flee to a roadside motel, and later to a brothel, run by Captain Spaulding's pal, Charlie, played by Ken Foray. Along the way, the Fireflies find time to pursue their favorite hobby, torturing and killing innocent bystanders in elaborately cruel ways but they finally meet their match in Sheriff John Wydell, William Forsythe, a renegade lawman intent on seeking vengeance for the long-ago murder of his brother at the hands of the Firefly Clan. Despite its nearly non-stop torrents of gore, The Devil's Rejects is not really a horror film. It's a compendium of tributes and references to horror films of the past, as well as to Sergio Leone westerns and 70s road pictures like Bonnie and Clyde. 
Mr. Mr. Zombie's love for and encyclopedic knowledge of the exploitation genre is evident in every detail. Down to the Super 16 film stock, he's chosen to give this film the grainy texture and washed out color palette of a drive-in B-movie. The Devil's Rejects is a trompe Olay experiment in deliberately retro filmmaking. It looks sensational, but there is a curious emptiness at its core. The director seems uncertain whether we should root for his gleefully evil protagonists or their righteous avenger, Sheriff Whitell, played by Mr. Forsyth with grimly unironic intensity. Because the film's mood shifts so quickly from playful perversity to primal dread, and because the Firefly family's wickedness seems unmotivated by anything but pure caprice, The Devil's Rejects soon devolves into a tedious moral muddle. Who's good? Who's evil? Who cares? The film ends with a cinematic coda, straight out of a Sam Peckinpah film, in which the beleaguered Fireflies drive straight into a police trap all guns blazing, to the strains of the Leonard Skinner rock anthem Freebird. If the film had earned its stripes by making us care about the characters, they could have been a gloriously satisfying, if hopelessly corny, ending. Instead, like much of the rest of the Devil's Rejects, the meticulously staged final shootout is a triumph of style alone. So I don't 100% disagree with her. I I think that where she's probably not the audience for this film, so she doesn't un- understand that you know, there is a, a level of nuance and that he's really kind of hitting that idea of you know blurring the lines of good and evil and and hero worship of killers and it's very much like natural born killers and if you really were to look at it in in that perspective i think that you would have a different perspective of the film um granted this is a 16 year old film review um she probably wouldn't even care if i gave her my altering opinion however that is my uh opposition of her uh but she's absolutely right it it turns on a dime in terms of you know being playful and fun and deadly serious and it 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 does kind of harm the flow because it's like but again i feel like that's done by design because psychopaths aren't just psycho all the time they're they're playful and then it then it flips on you but keep listening we're going to keep going. Still got a lot more Rob Zombie to go. Hope you guys are enjoying this.
Please, mister, stop. Please. Stop. Stop? Bitch, I have just started. You know, I was gonna take it easy on you, boy. But you brought this down on yourself. You had to come all fucking big sick, walking tall like a big fucking hero. Got yourself to blame, hero. Look at you now, hero. You're gonna fucking bleed to death. Fuck you. That's what they all say. Fuck you. Well, I ain't gonna save you. Don't scare me, none, and it don't suddenly make you a fucking hero. You wanna see what happens to heroes, boy? You wanna see badass, motherfucker? I'll show you badass. Hoss, I want you to pray to your God. I want you to pray that he comes and saves you. I want lightning to come down and crash upon my fucking head. Jesus. Louder! Ah, bless the bunnies. Bless the little birds. Bless the I don't feel anything. Ah, bless the springtime morning. Oh, 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 oh. I feel it. Oh, great God almighty, I repent, I repent! I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. Alright you guys, this is me saying goodbye. Uh, this has been a fun exercise and it's just gonna keep it going uh, like I said you've got three more episodes of this three more chapters that's what I'm calling them They're the chapters of rock this is chapter one the good years that's 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 me and, it, and it's not true um, you'll be hopefully surprised with some of my opinions you might not be surprised by others uh, like I said uh, chapter 2 will be Halloween but before that for Valentine's as a Valentine's treat I'm going to be giving you the uh, movie celebrating its 40th anniversary kind of like me my bloody Valentine so that will be releasing on Sunday then chapter 2 Halloween will be releasing on Monday so it's going to be back to back to back with uh, Creature Features Podcast brand new Creature Features Podcast so uh, I feel I feel pretty good about that um, yeah. I, I, I really hope that you guys are kind enough to give a listen, a like, a follow to podcasts like the Horror Haven Podcast. It's a really good show. I like them a lot. They're really good kids. Uh, Civil Gore Podcast. I, I think that they're just... Uh, there's, there's something to be said about just natural chemistry. And when, when you listen to 
people talk regularly. You want to be able to make sure that those people can move and maneuver, and they do that really well. They they sound like lifelong friends, but they're not. But you know, they sound like they are. Um, yeah, give them a listen. We are horrified. Why not? Why not? Why not you? Give them a listen. Listen to them. It's a good show. They go beat by beat. And they're, you know, they're married. And you know, that's cute. And they, they like horror films. And they're horrified. Give them a listen. Give them a like. Give them a follow. Uh, Wrestling Soup isn't horror, but I really like that show. So, I say, uh, I like that show. Uh, fun story. I don't know if I've mentioned it. I might have. Uh, we are now, uh, our, our show, our stream of shows are available on Wrestling Soup's website. And Missionary has just been super fucking helpful with me kind of through the course of this whole fucking Rob Zombie thing. Like, he's given me a lot of advice and I, I've listened to it. I, I'm, I'm still working on learning it. Um, he's much smarter than me. He's much more talented than I am. But um, he's also much more kinder than I am. And I'm very appreciative of him. So give his show a listen to if you haven't heard it. But if you haven't, you're probably not a wrestling fan. So you might not want to listen to it. But if you're, you're a fan of things that are funny, that's definitely something you would want to listen to. Um, I really love these movies. The, these these two movies specifically were fun to talk about. It was it was fun to go back and, and remember what it meant to be a fan of horror films and be excited to go to the movie theaters. There's this weird sense of apathy that I feel with modern horror and um, maybe that's age maybe the the reasons that I was scared was because I was young and then the older that I got the things that frightened me changed you know I, I'm, I'm much more afraid about what happens to my children than what happens to me I, I'm aware of my mortality and you know, I'm aware of the, the ever-impending doom that it could very well exist. Uh, just, just, you know, signing off of this computer. Um, so, maybe, you know, guys in hockey masks with machetes aren't as, as scary. Um, maybe it's an indictment of me. Maybe that's what it is. I still really enjoy what I enjoy. Uh, and you should enjoy... Uh, my next episode, which again is my bloody Valentine. You want to find out more about us, us as in me. If you want to find out more about Creature Feature specifically, not just me, not just Chunky Larry, but the show that I do, uh, the way you can do that is a couple different ways. You can start by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash creature pod, by following us on Twitter and Instagram at creature pod. Did I mention that the month of February is Women in Horror Month? That means that we will be releasing 
Preacher Future flashbacks. I'm not doing interviews anymore. I, I just, I just, I, I, I don't like, I don't like the process. So, um, the ones that I did, I'm going to be re-releasing. And I, I hope that if you haven't heard them, give them a listen. Uh, over the next couple of days, on Monday, uh, we will be releasing a interview with Felissa Rose. And on Thursday, I believe, we're going to be releasing an interview with Amanda Wiss. So, you know, no big deal. Just two big horror movie franchises that I'm going to be talking to. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's me. That's the show. Uh, that's it. But, for William Forsythe. I'm, I've got cotton mouth on high. For William Forsythe. Uh, for Sherry Moon Zombie. For Rob Zombie. And for Sid. Always for Sid. I guess Bill too. And for myself. Again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast. PizzaTheIndustry.com Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. Listen with someone you trust.